G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Footyology TV, coming at you live from the studios of Southern FM in Brighton as we let the opening music just go a few bars longer than usual. Good to have your company. How are you, Finey? I'm well. Great first week of the finals. In as much that most of the games were... Except the GWS game. They were sort of alive. There was something to watch in the last quarter. Yeah, I'll, I'll play Scrooge here. I didn't think they were great, but for Saturday night, uh, West Coast and Collingwood. Yeah. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't a heap of fantastic football. But, importantly, I, I think the results are made for a more competitive September. That, that's what I'm saying. In fact, to back your claim up that it wasn't great football... For the first time since we've had a final eight, so that's quite a long time now, mm. not one of the teams kicked more goals than behinds. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, Collingwood 10-10, yeah. every other team inaccurate. Yeah. And for the weekend, 74 goals compared to 1972 first week of the final, 71 goals, and 1973, 70 goals. Only yeah. difference there was... Two games, we had four games. Yeah, well, inaccuracy has been a bit of a byword this year. Now, I forget every week. I'm not going to forget this week. We want your input. So you're watching us on Facebook. Plenty of room there to leave a question or a comment. We're going to wrap up each of the four finals in detail and then take questions about that particular game. So if you've got a question or a comment about the last final that was played, West Coast Collingwood, hold your fire until we get to that game. We will try and answer as many as we can with each game. So before we get into the game-by-game uh, game wraparound, Finey, a uh, couple of important bits of housekeeping. The draw for next week, if you're not across it, I'm assuming most people are, but next Friday night at the MCG, we have one knockout semi-final. Hawthorne taking on Melbourne, 7.50 Friday, MCG. Saturday evening, back at the G, 7.25pm, Collingwood taking on GWS, Pretty sure I know who the majority of the crowd's going to be barracking for. And we do have a rough guide to the two preliminary finals. The first of them will be on Friday, 21st of September. That's the Richmond game. Obviously playing the winner of the Collingwood GWS semi. That's at 7.50. Second preliminary final at Optus Stadium on Saturday. West Coast taking on the winner of Hawthorne and Melbourne. Still don't have an official time for that, but I'm thinking probably more likely to be twilight than an evening game the things to me looked a whole lot more obvious in terms of um, projecting what the results of the remaining games would be had Collingwood defeated West Coast Mm. I think now we've got a bit of variation in the theme because well we'll talk about the games but Collingwood lost no admirers I don't think on Saturday night no no full a very very plucky performance from the pies we will as you say get into that in some detail shortly but we're going to do it in chronological order let's get into the wraparound
Wrap it up, mate. We're letting you get your bang for your buck, uh, theme-wise. All right, let's start at Thursday night, MCG, a massive crowd, 91,446. Came to see the Tigers and Hawks play off in a final for the first time, and they saw, in the end, a pretty convincing win to the Tigers, 13-17-95, defeating Hawthorne, 9-10-64. You can have first go. What would you make of it? This is now the fourth consecutive final that Richmond have played at the G on their own terms, controlled the game, and they all seem to follow a pattern. I'm talking about the three finals last year and the final this year, and that is that at halftime in all of these games, their opponents have been strangled to lifelessness by the boa constrictor that is Richmond in the finals. They just make it so difficult for teams to move the ball on the MCG. They are able to stop them on the wide wings and in the deep flanks and pockets. And at halftime, Hawthorne 3-5, not dissimilar to Geelong of last year, GWS and Adelaide of last year, and their halftime scores. In fact, almost to a theme, at that point, even though Richmond don't lead by a great deal, the, card, the die is cast, and, yeah. and the tap is turned on with a more expansive Martin. They become more attacking in the second half, and it is a script that they have followed now four times in a row. No, you're right. A lot of similarities. A few observations about the Hawks early on. Now, they led by a point at quarter time, but you didn't sense they were controlling the game. No. To that end... Uh, Tom Mitchell and Jay Gray Mira had 22 disposals between them in the first quarter alone. And I thought for very little impact, really. A couple of other pivotal moments for them were the misses of absolute gimmies from first Sean Burgoyne and secondly Luke Bruce. Probably the two Hawthorne players least likely to, Mitch, uh, to, Mitch, to miss clutch shots, which they both did. That didn't help. Um, a third factor, you had a bit of a wild card on the goal-kicking front with Camden McIntosh kicking three goals. So they were bonus goals perhaps the Tigers weren't counting on. But the second quarter, even though you know here we are at half-time, we're looking at a difference of only, what, 14, 14 points. It felt like a lot more, didn't it? Dusty Martin, he knows how to go through the gears, Martin, doesn't he? And he, he really got into fourth gear in that second quarter. Seven clearances for that term, three centre-bounce clearances, and Richmond won the centre-bounce clearances 5-zip in that second quarter um, and really put their stamp on the game. At that point in time, it became apparent that the playing of Segler was surplus to knees. <clears throat> yeah. An interesting selection, given the weather forecast was always going to have rain in Melbourne, either during the game or just before the game. And very few teams play two ruckmen. I know that West Coast do with some success, but it's something Hawthorne haven't done for most of the year. Well, that it's interesting you bring that up because that ties in to a bit of a theory I had. Hawthorne this year have had success with that forward half pressure and forcing turnovers, but they're less able to capitalise on it now without Cyril Rioli. There's a lot in the lap of a guy like Paul Piopolo. I wondered if bringing in that extra big man was uh, a way of counteracting that, thinking... We're not going to necessarily get as many goals from turnovers. Perhaps we can outmark the Richmond defence. But it, it certainly backfired on them, didn't it? And then they, of course, had a, a real blow to their defence when Ben Stratton hurt his hamstring. The forward line, then we know that the Richmond forward line, and it's interesting because why would you 
markedly change that forward line, which they will next year if they land or when they land Tom Lynch. So this forward line begins to operate almost perfectly. And how does it operate? It's still a marking forward line. Quite, It's most interesting, isn't it, that even though it's not... <clears throat> considered a short forward line. I mean, mm. Caddy is such a strong mark he is. that he provides a hit-up player, even in those conditions. Rewalt, of course, goes for a lot of marks. The essence of that forward line, with Rioli being the P this week, is that they can all fly for the ball, but when it hits the ground, it's trouble for the opposition, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And that's really how the game started to unfold. Mm. Richmond were having so much more of the ball inside their own 50 in a meaningful manner. And when it hits the ground in their forward line, it's panic stations for the opposition. Well, I, I think they force that pressure all over the ground, not yep. just close to the goal. And the, the I guess the best underline, underlining of that was the final inside 50 count, which was 67 to 37. Yep. I reckon Hawthorne would have been kept to that many oh, inside incredible. 50s too often. About 16 just before half-time. They couldn't get the ball forward. It, it is that pressure, isn't it? And the reality is that when the ball goes into your forward line against Richmond, you need to have a plan B. If the ball's not marked, you cannot let it come out via the agency of Rance, Hawley, Floston, because they just set it up really well, don't they? Yeah. Grimes is such a good defender. Yeah. And he allows Rance almost license. In fact, Rance should not be in that All-Australian team without Grimes because Grimes is is central to how he plays. I thought Flostam was a big part of that as yeah. well. Uh, good one from Craig Williams. I just want to make one quick observation about the Tigers, and I've been banging on about this for a while now. I reckon one of the greatest parts of the way they play their footy is their positioning behind the ball. I had a really good look at it on Thursday night sitting up in the uh, press box. There's one guy who I think should get a lot more credit for Richmond's success. We, we barely heard him, about him, really. You're going to get some joy out of this. His name is Andrew McWalter. Now, he's yep. Richmond's stoppage coach. Now, stoppage coach is a title that varies from club to club in how they operate. But I was talking to someone at Richmond about this. His brief is stoppages right, is positioning right across the ground at every stoppage. That includes the defence. Now, Ben Rutten's part of that. He's a defensive coach, going to Essendon next year, incidentally. But basically, they're positioning not only behind the ball when the opposition is coming out of their 50, but around the stoppages is superb. I lost count of the number of times the Hawthorne players got sucked too far in towards the stoppage, and the Richmond players were just well positioned outside it, were able to win the clearance and pounce on the ball and take it their way. It, it Their positioning is superb, and I reckon, um, presuming there's a few sort of uh, opposition club analysts or coaches watching us right now, I reckon there's a few sitting there nodding their heads. Andrew McWalter, get on him, boys. I reckon he knows his stuff. All right, let's go back to Craig Williams here, Mr. Music. Have you got the question from Craig? It is. Hawks are a decent chance this week. People seem to be writing them off very easily. Yeah, I agree. I, I think... Getting back to that thing about an ideal setup for the finals, I like these two semis because I think it's um, you've got Melbourne and GWS with, with the momentum. I think both games you can argue that Melbourne and GWS have more ability than the sides they're playing, but Hawthorne and Collingwood are two of the most resolute clubs with uh, storied finals histories and long, long and proud traditions of putting in a, a big performance with backs to the wall. Plus. 
and I did the numbers on this today. Since 2000 and the current final eight system, we've had 36 semi-finals. 30 of them have been won by the qualifying final losers. And in fact, until the last three seasons, that number was 26 out of 28. But we now have the bye, and that's a slightly different dynamic because, of course, the year the Bulldogs <clears throat> won, both of the lower-ranked teams were able to defeat the first-week losers. So... Yeah, but don't forget, that that's not a factor come semi-final week because no-one's had that week. No-one had had that week off until then. It was all a level playing field. In most cases, it's simply been that the qualifying final loser was a superior team yeah, to the right. elimination final winner. You know, we'll talk again about Melbourne, and we'll preview these games, of course, during the week on our audio podcast. But Melbourne... We should remember this about Melbourne. I'm, Hawthorne are a proven team that can regroup and have such wonderful finals experience to draw upon. Melbourne has not got ahead of themselves now for about six weeks in the last 10 years. Mm. So we are trusting Melbourne to have really turned the corner for once and for all. And Hawthorne are going to make that difficult. So do not write Hawthorne off, of course. You can't write Hawthorne off, as Peter McKinney used to say. Christopher Wilkinson says, can you see Brandon Ellis making his way back into the Richmond side for either the prelim or the grand final? It's a really good question. At the moment, no. No. Whose place would he take? There's no room at the inn. Well, who who would be, if he was to come in... Conker. Yeah, he's probably the most vulnerable. But I thought he did his job, didn't he? He played a role. He definitely played a role mm. in a team that just won a very important final. He'd be very unlucky to be dropped, wouldn't he? Yeah, well, I, I think there's a similar thing going on with Butler. Who spots Butler going to take? Well, there's no spot. I mean, Jack Higgins is a cast-iron certainty because of the X factor he provides. There's no... Unfortunately, you can only put 22 onto this, onto the dais, and there's hard luck stories from last year. Of course, we know... Uh, Jaden Short, who's made good on it this season. Yep. But I guess that's what drives the team forward. And what the coach loves is the pressure that that, that internal pressure drives teams and drives performances onwards and upwards. Yep. Have we got one more? No, let's move on. Uh, I'll just get you to move a little bit. Oh, there you go. There we just go. Where, you know, oh, yeah. Well, that's very precious. A lot of money goes into that. Yep. Uh, time to move on now. Friday night, Melbourne v Geelong. And it's a grand old flag. First final for 12 years. And uh, I was getting, a, I must admit, I was getting a bit of a feeling of deja vu at one stage with them dominating play and not taking their opportunities. But it all worked out okay in the end. The Demons, 10 15 75. There's that inaccuracy. Defeating an also inaccurate Geelong 6-10-46. Well, remember in our previews, I said I felt the only way that Geelong could win is similar to how they'd won during the season. If they were accurate in front of goal and Melbourne <clears> were profligate. And <throat> Melbourne certainly were wasteful. They, it's a good word, that profligate, isn't it? Yeah, that second quarter defied football logic, didn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah, only, you're watching a team dominate and go yeah. backwards. Well, it was, Melbourne, it was only Melbourne's second goalless quarter for the season. But they were totally dominant, especially yeah. for the first half of that quarter. Six behinds. And some of those behinds came as a result of one possession too many. Mm. Some were just poor misses and some were good defending. But you really, if if take the sort of, um, oh, it's Melbourne, this could all end in tears, or Geelong, they've got a great track record. If you were simply looking at the game as, you know, skins versus shirts at half time you could not pick Geelong 
in a hundred years. I mean, look, Ablett lifted in the second half, but yeah. but he doesn't have the dynamism that he used to have, and he gets the ball a lot. So Melbourne were just attracted to him and attracted to players around him, and the pressure became intense because of their Geelong's inability when they got the ball to get that decisive first possession. Have a look at how Oliver was dishing it off. Yeah. All of them. Viney, mainly handball, well, just about only handballing, but they were decisive. Geelong's possessions were defensive. Yeah, and I thought the centre bounce was a big factor in this game too. And th- this is where Max Gorn is a great ruckman, but yeah. he's partly a great ruckman because he gives his on-ballers advantage at that centre bounce. Now, the centre bounces, I did write it down, and ended up 13-4 Melbourne's way in the finish. There was a period there, so they had that, Dominance statistically at half time. They were well ahead for contested possession, uncontested possession, tackles. Tackles in the forward 50 at half time was 16 1 Melbourne's way. Yep. Um, and yet, when Tom Hawkins kicked that goal early in the third quarter, it was back to 17 points of difference. And that's when I was thinking, oh, this isn't going to happen again, is it? But How about that- when he was lining up for goal? 21 <clears throat> points down. And the Joel Selwood incident. Oh, occurred. yeah, correct, correct. But I, I thought Melbourne steadied really well. It was the goal to Melksham in the third quarter that really steadied the ship for him, got him back to a near four-goal advantage, and they toughed it out after that. It was then that incident happened with Selwood flinging, um, who was it? Oh, Melksham to the ground and giving away the free kick when Hawkins is lining up. But in the end, they uh, it, it was sort of like um, three games between those sides have been played the same way, but this time Melbourne won. I felt like I was watching the same game three times. So Melbourne in the two they lost during the season had 64 inside 50s in both. This time they had 60 to Geelong's 43. So incredibly dominant. They had 50 more disposals. They won 11 more clearances. Contested ball, which they've dominated this season. They had 17 more contested. They had 25 more uncontested. They had uh, 18 more handball receives. There was barely a statistical area Geelong was even competitive. So in the end, it was no real surprise that the, the margin blew out to that 6-5 goal mark. You know, final football is interesting. I, I sort of draw this analogy. Home and away games are a book that is borrowed, read and returned. Finals is a book that is bought, read and kept. Because... Performances in finals are remembered and they're career-changing. And we saw Wiedemann, who has been a work in progress. Jeez, he was good. Yeah, he's... He, <clears throat> whatever he has been taught through the VFL and his sporadic appearances for Melbourne in the seniors, all were put to good use in a final. He was a goal-kicking menace. He was a pressure... He was a lead-up, hit-up forward. He was a active member of a defensive group, so you saw him even be on the wing. Mm. And all of it came with a whole lot of running and a whole lot of confidence. You know, when Jesse Hogan went down, do you remember me saying, I don't know if it's going to hurt him that you much? You did. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. And I think um, Frost coming into that defence has really sturdied up their defence. Yep. The other guy I wanted to make special mention of, I thought he was fantastic, was Christian Salem. He played a blinder was, of a game. He was my second best player. Yeah, no, I, I definitely... Um, I, I saw a lot of different 3 2 ones, but I would have had him in my throw. I thought Wiedemann actually was best on ground. I thought ground. Wiedemann was best on ground. I had Salem and Brachel. Yeah, no, I, I reckon I'd agree with that. Would so that, that surely is Salem's best game. 
Um, very quickly, uh, where do we reckon the Cats are at? I, I feel like I've been banging this drum all year. I felt like as competitive as they were, and they, they really were incredibly competitive, even the games they lost were never by much, but I just didn't feel like they were capable of lifting above the peak that they showed during the home and away season, and that was borne out. They're still overly reliant on the Holy Trinity. There are still doubts about every week about the bottom few on their list. And I think, you know, look, injuries have been a factor in this. I don't reckon they've been able to get enough continuity in those younger guys they're trying to develop. And I think that's held them back too. But you look at the midfield personnel, you look at Hawkins having a great year, you look at the fact they were number one team defensively, and you're thinking, why aren't they better than they are? Why do you think they're not better than they are? Because their list is not good in terms of winning <laughs> That's finals. That's a succinct summation. Yeah, it isn't. Um, <clears throat> look, Harry Taylor is coming to the end of a storied career. Yeah. Henderson was found out. I know he's had a predominantly injury-ruined season, but he still is in that team. And he's Those two backmen are too slow for mine, really, come finals time. Now, they're great. And you know, I've been banging on about this, to borrow a phrase, that their position every year is... Inflated is better than it should be because they have the advantage of a home ground advantage. Something that I think that they should have, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but it proves to be a millstone around their neck come finals time because Mm. I don't believe that's really where they are placed in the league. So for me, a team that sits more outside the eight than inside the eight is once again embarrassed in the first week of the finals. Well, there's a bigger picture emerging with both them and the other um, team exiting the finals this year. Sydney, and they are two teams that have regenerated whilst staying competitive. Very very similar situations. It hasn't been a great vote of confidence in that with strategy, has it? From Jaron Parkinson, Melbourne is absolutely a contender now. Um, Yeah, provided they beat Hawthorne. (laughs) Um, No, they, they will be, for mine, an equal money chance at worst, even in the preliminary final, should they get over Hawthorne. Um... Were they to go into a grand final against Richmond, I think they'd be a pretty uh, big underdog. But I, I'd still give them a chance. But, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think their upside is huge. Yeah, I mean, for me, their best chance is, first of all, they need to beat Hawthorne. Not, a, not easy at any time. Mm. Then they have to go west with the week's break, which is perfect for a team like West Coast. They're swimming against the tide, as you always do over there. A very tough contract. They have played a preliminary final against West Coast in Perth before, 1994, yep. and they got spanked. So sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. Quick one from Vaz Marulis. Geelong yep. needs to go back to the draft and stop trying to trade their way to their next flag. Well, that's sort of what I was saying. I think the route that they're going down, which is um, fingers in the dike, sort of packing <clears> up problems. So what, what are they going to do this time, do they go and get that Ruckman that they need? No, no, I think this will be the line in the sand moment. However, having said that, I think they've been absolutely uh, justified in doing it until now. They've played in the last two preliminary finals. Yep, yep, you yep. Know? I, so I, I agree. I, I agree that they've... The dice has almost been rolled for them a couple of times. Mm. Of course, Dangerfield was a brilliant recruit, but he nominated Geelong. Mm. And of course... When you get the opportunity to Can take you tell back... people to stop bringing you when we're doing this show, <laughs> who is it? It's actually somebody very interesting, football related. It always the... is. Um, later. Uh, but the, the when Gary Ablett said he wanted to return home, 
of course they have to accept him with open arms. Mm. I don't know if that's really the road that they were intending to head down. So once you've got those three, you start definitely planning with other senior recruits to go for a flag. But it has almost been thrust upon them a bit. Yeah. Having said that, do you think there's a club in the AFL who, if Gary Ablett said, I want to play for you guys, would turn no, around no, and say I'm no? Saying, I'm saying it, it's the road, it's the path. <clears throat> They they came to a fork in the road maybe three or four seasons ago, mm. but they were not. the The path they chose was the one chosen for them when Dangerfield said, "I'm coming to Geelong," and then Ablett said, "I'm coming back." All right, we've got one more quick one from Craig Williams. Clayton Oliver is equally as good as Cripps is. Just seems to fly under the radar. Well, there goes one of my hots. Oh, okay. Almost we'll, the same as almost we'll, that. We won't expand on that one. <laughs> You've uh, our two. Uh, quote a phrase from uh, the Rock and Roll podcast I do. You've been gazumped. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We, S- we might have one more. Got to be quick, Mr. Music. Uh, from Steve Box, does Dalhouse help? Not for me. Um, no, I don't think they need him. I mean, Ablett, Dangerfield, Selwood, Kelly, Duncan, Menegola. Does he... Is he... That's a small forward. If you can uh, return back to a high-pressure forward, yes. I think they need a quick... You know what I reckon they miss? Someone in the mould of a David Wojcinski. Yep. They're yep. Def- they're got, they haven't got a lot of pace coming out no, of that you're right. You're, you're right. They would love a Sard. You know, when Essendon got Sard, they already had McKenna. It seemed doubling up. But I, I, I absolutely, without... without Wojcinski's the perfect call. They need run out of the back line, and they also need a Ruckman. Yep, do they Do they trust... Abbott, Radagula, Stanley. Oh, Radagula has been good value. Right. Uh, but have, they still don't solve their ruck issue with any of those. No. Well, they've got six months to think about it. Let's yep. move on. Saturday Twilight, the Battle of the Bridge, uh, part three for this season. 2-0 to the Swans during the season proper, but the Giants won the one that counted. And did they win it? 10-19-79. And... I think it was 3-8 in the last quarter. Yes, it was. And uh, thank God for that, for the Swans' point of view, because it was looking like a 70, 80, 90-point walloping there. The Swans, a lamentable 4-6-30, the lowest score in any final finey since the 1960 grand final when yeah, Collingwood well, kicked 2-2. Two, two. And... All right. Um, okay, I'll kick us off on this one. Sure. It, it, it played out early the way I expected, a bit of a pitch battle. I think the Swans tried to, you know, suck the Giants into a bit of a trench warfare situation. They're good at doing that. Um, but I, th- I thought the Giants withstood that really well. And we did say when we were previewing in last Thursday's audio podcast that we both felt that if the Giants could hold the line they could get them on the outside the longer the game went. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Significantly, it happened without the services of Josh Kelly, who was injured pretty early. But in the end, they just looked a class above the Swans, didn't they? They obviously, look, Sydney had, by the time they reached the finals, run out of ideas. I had very little imagination going forward. And the fact is that they relied so heavily on Buddy Franklin to win a number of their games, that not only did they have a sort of a predictable game plan or an obvious game plan, part one, but part two, Buddy wasn't fully fit. So No, he wasn't. 
Did yeah. you like that catch? Yeah. What's going on? Oh, Are we sponsored? No. Cool Ridge. Uh, feel free to jump on, uh, makers of Cool Ridge. No, I'm just, I'm absolutely dehydrated. Go on, excuse me. Yeah, you can pass it over when you're done. I wouldn't mind a guzzle myself. The reality is that, and Davis, look, he played a great game, but could it have been made any easier for Phil Davis? Phil Davis is, you'd have to say, um, going back and using the old vernacular, the sort of backman that likes playing on the big gorillas. You know, he's, he does not want to get run around. He's more than happy to play and competent to the point of excellence playing on a stay-at-home forward. Now, Buddy just didn't cover anywhere enough ground, so there's something wrong with his... It's his groin, I believe, is the um, prevailing problem. And he wasn't right, and the rest of the team almost withered on the vine with him. They, they've had that, I reckon, for the last month, and, and they've been winning more than they've lost, but they've had that look of a, a banged-up team drained also of inspiration almost. Haven't you felt that? You know, yeah. That, John Longmire was, when Sydney made their real assaults on premierships uh, some years back, John Longmire was very much tuned in to the preparation required to get a team hitting the finals mm. in perfect condition. You know, before the bye, giving players the opportunity to have a week off and just making sure that they were cherry ripe to hit the finals. I know that that is his finals philosophy. Well, the fact that they were unable to play Parker and Buddy Franklin in the last game of the year, which was a must-win game against Hawthorne, so this was not resting. This was obviously an unplanned pit stop. It just showed losing Callum Mills through the year. I mean, they lost players, but it just showed that by the time they hit the finals, things were not... The, 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 the motor wasn't purring, mm. and for a team used to being conditioned for the finals, that must be confidence sapping for the entire group, knowing that we're in the finals, but we've, the script hasn't been followed. They've had, a, they've had a couple of these before. I remember even going back to like 2007, they got smashed in a elimination final by Collingwood and thinking, you know, in fact, probably writing one of those end of an era type stories. And they, they always manage you looking at your phone while I'm talking. It's actually from a recently retired... Here we go. Well, a couple of SMSs from a recently retired champion. OK, well, tell them you do the bloody show from 7.30 Sunday night and they've got another 22 and a half hours of a day to contact you. Jared, I do the show, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, let's talk about the Giants because they're still alive. Yes. I, must, I got to the end of this game thinking a lot differently about the Giants than when it started. Now, full points to um, Leon Cameron and co for rolling the dice on selection. They brought in Green, Deledio, here we go, I've forgotten the other two. Green, Deledio, DeBoer, and, come on, help me here, who was the fourth in? Green, Deledio, DeBoer. Oh, come um, on. <laughs> not quite sure. Well, Green was close to best on ground with yep. three goals, 27 disposals. I think he had eight inside 50s. DeBoer, I thought, played his role as a defensive forward, helped lock the ball in. Was it Haynes? Delete, I know it was Zach Williams. Oh, Williams, of course. Yes. Deledio, cream on the cake. And Williams gave him more runoff half back. And how well did Whitfield play? Now, he's played really well all season. Yep. But I thought Whitfield had more scope to do that damage because Williams was in there as well. And by the end of it, I thought they'd really got that sort of dare and dash back. I, I felt like the Giants for most of this year have been a shadow of their offensive best. I thought it was really back by the end. And that's why they are a real genuine chance against the Pies next week. They 
first of all, Toby Green's so important to them. Oh, of, course, of course he is, because he's a, an excellent forward just with, with a bad habit. Yeah, well, let's talk about that re really quickly, because everyone wants to... Uh, Belinda Smith, very timely, Belinda. What do you think of Toby Green, the way he puts the studs in? I don't like it. Um, I think... Uh, I, I gave him benefit of a doubt when he did it last year to, I think it was Luke Dowhouse, was it? Yeah. At Etihad Stadium. But he did it like three times in this game, and I think the umpires should have been... I'm, I'm looking for the appropriate rule, but isn't it dangerous play? Yep. Uh, I saw actually Matty Jones, former umpire Matty Jones, he tweeted something about ball not within five metres, so you, 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 can't, um, you can't say it's defendable. Um, but I would have thought it just comes into the same sort of rule area as kicking in danger. You can't lift your studs up. And, and you know, look, I don't see how you can argue that you can. What is he protecting his ground? Well, you've got your body to do that. You, your feet are a potentially harmful weapon, and I don't think that should be allowed. Yeah, it's, it would be like, it'd be like fending off with a loaded glove. I mean... There's no way that that can be allowed. It, it's no. It comes under the, and I don't really like this term, but it comes under a bad look. Yeah, it and just, well, you know what else? I'm I'm often very skeptical about the all the kids all start doing it line, but I actually felt that this time. I looked at it and I thought, you know what? That's the sort of thing a kid, if he's camped under a ball, will start doing because it's easy to do. And so, so I reckon they yeah they've got to take a bit of a stand on that. It's a habit born out of, and I hate to say this because it does not sum up the way Toby Green plays at all, but it's a habit born out of fear. Yeah, yeah. I, little look, kids, I, little kids do do stuff like that. You know, yeah. they're under the ball, somebody's coming, and they lift yeah, yeah. their leg up. It, yeah, I, it doesn't strike me as a malicious thing, but it's it is it is a bad habit. That's a good description of it. Greg Hinkler says, do you think the Giants can beat the Pies and then Richmond? GWS beat Richmond last time they played, but it wasn't at the G. Giants lost both of their games on the G. Um, no, they didn't. They so beat Collingwood in beat round two. They beat the Pies this year. Yeah. The Close. Yeah. You know what? I, I don't think they can make the grand final, but one week at a time. Yeah. And what Collingwood present, it's interesting because Collingwood's main weapon is this unpredictable lineup again that you know has unlikely heroes etc and we'll talk about them shortly but GWS are almost putting together a team like that aren't they especially given the season they've had well they have but that, that the ends I talked about I think that they're starting to they're starting to get that polish back with them it is but you're 100% right but it's just again a 22 that has not played much together this mm. year and Collingwood have sort of thrived on the underdog. Yeah. But this is different. So I think GWS are well-placed to topple the pies. We'll see how the pies handle being favourites. I'll be tipping the pies. Just playing devil's advocate, though, if they were good enough to win a final in those circumstances in the preliminary, why couldn't they also do it in the grand? The, the one thing is that I would say, we saw how important Gorn was. You know, their ruck stocks are still, you know, they're... they're, they're Fumes, really. Yeah. And they just survive on... And it didn't really come into play at the SCG, but it comes into play at the MCG. Yes. And Brody Grundy could tear them apart. Yes, yeah, Sinclair and Lobb was a bit of a non-event. Really quick one from Tony TC, dedicated viewer of this show. G'day, Tony. Sydney, has Father Time finally caught up? Yes. Oh, in a big way. Yeah. Grundy, 
That'll be vice coach. Couple with that, I think the younger guys didn't take the strides we yeah. thought they might this year. Like I'm looking at get to the end of the year, I'm looking at Florence Haywood. Yeah, yeah, they um, they are still complementary rather than they didn't step up as players like um, Parker got injured and Hanbury got injured. They didn't really have anybody step up into the midfield from that younger brigade, did they? All right, let's move on to the last and best of the first week of finals. It was a ripper, this game, at Optus Stadium Saturday night. West Coast prevailing in the end, 12-14, 86, defeating a gallant Collingwood, 10-10-70. You ever built sandcastles at the beach and when the tide comes in as a kid? did all you can to preserve your sandcastle by building a moat and then a bigger moat and then a wall of sand. But in the end, nothing holds back the tide. And that really was how this game played out. You know, West Coast came at Collingwood for the best part of two and a half quarters. And really, at, when I say came at them, you know, Collingwood had established something in that second quarter. Well, they kicked six goals. They really look good. But West Coast... Only two and a half. I'd, I'd argue three. I mean, they kicked two goals for one in the third quarter and they were um, nine, eight points up at three-quarter time. I'm saying, but West Coast were coming at them and Collingwood, Collingwood were rebounding, repelling, yeah. and just finding a way to stay at arm's length. I would have to say... <laughs> Tony says, Friday's going very deep with the analogous metaphors. Welcome in my VCE English classes anytime. Well, in English and English lit, the rest of my subjects were shit, but uh, those two I did okay. You'd, you'd probably be a couple send, of A's. You'd probably be sending him to the office with, for a late pass, however, Tony. <laughs> a couple of old-fashioned A's. All right, get on with it. So, the yeah, that tide... Now, I know you're going to talk about people whinging about umpiring <clears> later, and that's fair enough, because across the board it's irrelevant. Um, you're trying to gazump me. No, but I'm not gazumping you, but I'm saying in that last quarter... West Coast were coming, and they were coming at a pace. Yeah. And Collingwood were going to have to play them on the rebound. And the fact that that free kick wasn't played to Mason Cox is so ponderous. I'm trying to remember it, which one. The ball was kicked forward. Cox was underneath it, all camped to mark the ball, not to say he would kick it because his kicking's off again. And as a sort of attempt to spoil him, McGovern coming back took the body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They showed Eddie Maguire oh, yeah, yeah. beside himself in the stand, but yeah. he had every reason to. Yeah, I oh, know. It was still funny vision. Because the umpires had got into this, decided not to pay free kicks. Previous to that, there was this incident in the West Coast forward line. Let's Can't, not talk about umpiring. Let's talk about the game. Well, it became part of the game because that is the tide you have to fight over there. So it becomes hard to get a free kick against them. It be, the crowd is is pulsating and pulling them towards their own goal. And it seems as though that there's a script to be followed here. And it's very hard to overcome those... They're not one percenters. They're big, big moments All in right. the game. I'm going to play... No, this isn't Devil's Advocate. I'm, I'm going to take up the cudgels here. I, yeah, I'm not saying that those things aren't issues. Bigger issue for me. Last quarter, West Coast dominated where it counted. I wrote some pretty comprehensive notes on this game. Third quarter, I've written down Sire, or Sia, Phillips, Trelaw. Great quarters. Where were those three in the last quarter? Yeah, Trelaw clearly tied, didn't he? What happened to Pendlebury? Uh, yeah. Side bottom, handballing to a point post. You know, like they, they lost that midfield dominance, which I thought had got them to the point of winning. 
I want to um, not stick up for West Coast. I'm going to fly the West Coast flag here a bit. Yeah, okay, it was a home final. But they're in big trouble at three-quarter time, and I reckon people are still questioning their mettle. Remember, no Nat Nui, no Gaff. Kennedy first game back and looked out of sorts. He responded when he had to. Darling responded when he had to. The tall forwards really came to play in the last quarter when it counted most. I thought they really showed a strong mental streak and welcome resilience. And um, I thought it was a really impressive win by them in the end. Yeah, Ronaldo's goal was key to the... <laughs> well, don't, don't gazump me on him either. Uh, but, um, but five goals to one in the last quarter. Yeah, I thought Redden was great in the he last was. quarter. Well, he was great all game, yeah. really. The... Look, the truth is, and I'm full of praise for West Coast, or I take these external factors out of it. For me, so important because people were very concerned about the amount of pressure the West Coast forward line could apply with Kennedy, Darling, Lacra. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're marking players. They're not mm. known for their ground pressure. The importance of Rioli and the dangerous Liam Ryan mm. through the game and then, huge. and then into that last quarter yeah. was immense yeah. because they were the ones that were <clears throat> causing the most headaches. I know that Darling and Kennedy found a way yeah. to get a couple of goals, but I really thought that those two guys, and I'll talk about them later, were key to the victory. Jetta, well, he promises to play well in big games and he delivered. Yes, don't gazump me. Um, <laughs> we're gazumping. We, we, there's a lot of gazumping going on. But yeah. that, that's a really good point. And without wanting to gazump you, because yeah. I know where you're going with this, that is one element West Coast has now that they didn't in 2015. So 2015, you had Lacroix, Cripps and Josh Hill as yeah. your medium-sized right. small forwards. And their defensive pressure that season was okay. But it's not the same level of defensive pressure that Ryan and Rioli and can Cripps. put on, and Cripps can yeah. put on as a trio. Yeah. So I think I think their forward setup is better than it was three years ago. And we should mention the guy that really just played the perfect game, Elliot Yo. When he's on song, can do anything. Oh, he's a really skillful. He player. can mark the yeah, ball yeah. from behind. He can tackle. He can run, and he was on song. Sam Loriola, are Richmond and West Coast clear favourites now? Um, they are for me. Yeah. What about you? Well, West Coast have... That's the idea with the West Coast Eagles, isn't it? Or Adelaide. Finish in the top two yeah. and win your two home finals. You know what the thing is with West Coast? Adelaide will suffer we, uh, when they get back, will suffer from this as well. People cannot get the West Coast 2015 grand final performance out of their heads. doesn't yeah. matter what they do. Their record on the G since then is actually pretty decent. I think it's sort of 50-50. They've played there twice this season and won both. Yeah, one was against Carlton, but one was against the Pies. Mm. I'm not sure what more they can do. Their record on the road this season has been very much in the black. But the perception seems to linger around longer than the actual reality. And I think if they win their preliminary and get through to a grand final, um, I'd still be tipping Richmond if they're playing Richmond. But... I don't see any reason why they can't go into a grand final on the MCG with a really good chance of winning. The one thing that they have to do is, and they played Richmond a couple of years ago at the MCG and got taken apart a bit, but it rained a lot that yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yeah. One thing they have to do is that ground. I don't know why, how that, how this that was is happening. Last year, actually, happening with it was last year, mm. uh, happening with the build of grounds. But like the Adelaide Oval, it seems to have quite sort of small pockets, yeah. narrow pockets. 
So Rioli and Ryan are thrust into the game, aren't they? I think Optus Stadium. I think the dimensions of Optus Stadium aren't that different to the MCG. They reckon all. it's as wide, you know, out on the wings, but it does narrow down, yeah. and this brings those pockets into the game. And it's those small forwards that can get lost in a grand final, really at the MCG. So, I think it's almost in their hands. Pardon me. It's almost in the hands of the guys that I felt won them the game at Optus to be able to translate that to the MCG. Our floor manager's going berserk here because Finey's going to destroy the set. Sorry. If we had a floor manager. I'm the floor manager. Stop doing it. I can have some water. Oh, uh, you can. Here. Um, I haven't got any germs. Matt Williams says, Gentlemen, what do the Pies do with selection this week? No change and hold their nerve. Or do they pull a trigger? Gee, that's a popular footy phrase now. And select Darcy Moore. Uh, let's see. GWS... Forward set up. You got Cameron. You got Himmelberg. They're not really playing a tall forward set up GWS anymore, are they? They were. You know, more would be good for Himmelberg because he's a really mobile, 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 flighty type, and he's dangerous, isn't he? Yeah, but what about you know Goldsack's come in and done a fantastic yeah, job. Um, Langdon, I think, can play taller. Okay. Um, they're not going to bring it. They're not going to risk it. No. Another one from Jaron. Was Goldsack the biggest win for the weekend? Played magnificently. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was terrific. Um, would have touched the. Would have had four possessions or something. Yeah, and, yeah. And for me, clearly in their best. Yeah. Although I mean, having was he still on Kennedy at the end? He was, wasn't he? I mean, Kennedy came good when he had to. But yeah, no, it was a, a great return from Goldsack. He's a valuable part of that side. Any more, uh, Mr. Music? All right, I think our work on the wraparound is done. You just hold your fingers there, young man. Uh, David helping us out tonight. Should I tell him that little story? No. My son, playing his tell last me. game of junior soccer last week. Yes. Got sent off. Red car? Yeah, straight got red? got a red car, straight red. Mm-hmm. And actually, in fairness, it wasn't that bad a challenge. I think the referee was being a bit of a dick just quietly. But was, he, was he doing a Toby Green studs up? No, no, it was, it was a vigorous shoulder challenge. What probably didn't help was when the ref came in to apply the yellow card, David walked off and said something to the kid about getting up, you weak, so-and-so. Yeah. Chip off the old block, really. All right, let's move on. It's time now for Hot or Not. I went the Gene Simmons tongue. You out. would have been a lazy guitarist. I know, I know exactly what you would have been. <laughs> All facial expressions, but no movement. No, well, I'm, I'm, I love a low slung bass. Yep. Uh, one of my favourite bands, the Marky Kane, the bass player in that band, uh, Kim Scott, has a bass about as low as it's possible to sling. I love a low slung bass. It looks tough. All right, let's go. For those kids that don't know what a bass is, it's a type of guitar. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right, I'm kicking us off with a hot. We touched on him before. He's a Rioli. Of course, it's September. Daniel Rioli thought he was outstanding on Thursday night. 16 possessions, 12 of which were contested. Um, three tackles, kicked three goals straight. It was only his 54th game, so he's still pretty raw. Kicked four in last year's preliminary final. He's got a liking for September finding. I had a really interesting chat uh, on Friday night with Matthew Richardson, actually, and he, Richo, is in love with Rioli, and I get it. He said he is built for September. Deceptively strong. Um, certainly got all the, the tricks in the bag, that beautiful dribblery kick that went 
stick under someone's legs. Uh, not that Richmond, I would never argue anymore that Richmond doesn't have sufficient brilliance, but I think he's that little bit of September magic that just pushes it over the edge. And look, he's had plenty of raps so far, but uh, I think he's got the potential to win a Norm Smith medal. Did you tell Richo he was our media positive for the year? I forgot. Jeez, I should have. But I did, uh, actually, he did thank me for a tweet about the Saturday night call and the Sydney Hawthorne game. Um, Richo, I know you, you do watch this show, so uh, we did give you a very big thumbs up, doing some great work. Mm. Anyway, go on. And bad luck on, was it Thursday night? No, Friday night. What happened on Friday night? Um, sorry, it, it was Thursday night. Look, I, I love Luke Hodge, but he was desperate to get a lot of special comments oh, in. Oh, okay. It was breathless there for the first quarter in that <laughs> box. Give us a word on Riola. Okay, um... First of all, well surmised, a good summation there of what Rioli brings to the party. But it just reminded me of how brilliant Richmond were, and he was a huge part of this, on Thursday night. Their determination to keep the ball moving forward in an attacking manner took on a new meaning on Thursday night. I have never, in that first half, I have never seen a ball kicked off the ground more often. Mm. To say it resembled soccer at some times is wrong. It was soccer at some times, including one of Rioli's goals. It was Rewalt off the deck to Rioli. But they they don't need to be su- surprised by, you know, oh, what's he done? You know, I've got a... It's it's part of their modus operandi. Well, this gets back to positioning. They, they can do it in the knowledge that there's going to be one of their players there for but, it. But they expect the ball to be, you know, they... The timing required yeah. to be in the right position for a kick off the ground means you almost have to anticipate it because it comes quicker than picking up a ball and having it handballed to you. So, look, he reads the game. You know who he reads the game like? A Rioli. Um, all right, two things, Fanny. Yep. One, give me the water back. Yep. And two, give us your first hot or not. I'll see your Rioli and raise it a Rioli. Look, Willie Rioli was overlooked. Oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, go on, go on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Willie Rioli was overlooked, really, by every club. And I just can't understand my own St Kilda, who don't have, you know, two sticks to rub together, why you'd overlook a Rioli, because they've got the perfect record in league football. There's never been a bad one. Oh, you guys went for uh, Trent Dennis Lane a few years ago. Yeah, but he's not a Rioli. So, you know... What his background is? The only footballer from, or with this background? Who, Rioli? Yeah. Trent Dennis Oh, no, I've taken you down that path. No. Burmese. So Really? Yes, his mum's Burmese. So the Ryan-Rioli combination is the perfect foil, not foil, it is the necessary counterbalance with Crips to a pretty heavy forward line, you know, Remember that they play Vardy down there a fair bit as well. So if you've got Vardy, Darling and Kennedy all playing at the same time on the ground, you need something very quick at their feet. And Rioli and Ryan and Cripps offer that. They're all lightning fast. Rioli and Ryan are menaces. And to me, Willie Rioli... Now, Daniel Rioli's fantastic. But Willie actually reminds me more of Cyril. You know, he is so he is so hot on your tail yep. when you've got the ball. He just really reminds me of him. All right. Well, 
I've got something to add here because uh, my second one is a knot. Mm. And you know what the knot is? It is Rioli. What? It's the absence of Cyril Rioli. <laughs> this is for... <laughs> now, we didn't... We didn't. Yeah, um, you did. I sent you a text. You just obviously didn't read it again. No, but I already had mine. We, we, yeah. we didn't. No, we, no, not scripted. This no. totally independently. But seriously, my not is. I think um, Hawthorne's loss of Silrioli has really come home to roost, and their forward setup has been okay this year, but it, it lacks a bit of the magic that it used to have. And I think if. Bruce and Puopolo aren't great. I think they're a bit vulnerable. Ruffy, yeah, he was okay, Ruffy. But he, he, had a, he actually had not a bad night. But he's not what he was. We all know that. They're not getting that same value they were out of a second Ruckman, which, you know, they brought in Segler, but neither he nor McAvoy had a, a forward presence as such. Gunston ended up down in defence. So I think, um, like I said, the stats show that they are relying very heavily on forward half turnovers, which is great, but you've got to be able to capitalise on them, and I think they've lost that ability to do so, and the loss of Cyril is the main factor in that. They just don't have that oomph. In fact, the tackles in the forward 50 in that game ended up being 16-7 to in Hawthorne's favour. Now, if Richmond managed 16 forward half tackles, they'd be scoring a lot more goals than the Hawks managed out of that. They kicked nine goals to the night. Only three of them were crumbing goals. The rest were kick and mark or free kick. So it's a big factor for me. And um, I've felt like the Hawks' experience and, you know, big big occasion players were going to be a valuable weapon for them in September. But I still think that. But I think not having Rioli is uh, the difference between them being able to perhaps even win a final or not. Well, you know... Jarman Impey did some good things in the second half, but he didn't do anything in the first half. And no. The die was already cast, and I think it was probably Jarman Impey that most Hawthorne people thought could have filled the breach, yeah. but he can't. All right, now, if you come up with the name either Dean or Morris Rioli, now I'm walking out, so your turn. My second is not a Rioli. Okay. Actually, it's a hot, and it is the... Yes, uh, we read the... SMS a little earlier on, it is... It's not an SMS. It's a Facebook message. Oh, Facebook message. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's Facebook? Oh, come on. The, it is the influence, ability, class, and in the end, lack of recognition for the combination of Oliver and Brayshaw or either of those individuals. They're brilliant. Clayton Oliver, his ability to read the ball pounding off, seemed to be the half-back line on fr- Friday night was superb. What about the one what about the one where he braced himself, smashed yep. into Selwood yep. and in the same movement was able to get off the handle. Superb. Yeah. Brayshaw at the stoppages is you know what? He reminds me of Luke Hodge. He marshals them, he positions them, and he gets the ball. He's he's great. He's a what he's got beautiful hands. Mm. So you need that. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna have almost a predetermined play with your Ruckman, mm. who is a dominant Ruckman, mm. you can't fumble it. You know what? You know, I talked before about perception being behind reality. I reckon this is a great example of it because Melbourne, as an inside team, are the best in the competition. Contested possession, I know a lot myself, contested possession differentials this season. They are at 17.1, which means per game they average 17.1 more contested possessions than their opponent. 
Second on the list, I think, is Collingwood on 10. But they're close to double what the number two team is. Those two guys are mainly responsible for it. Why do you reckon they don't get the kudos they deserve? Well, look, they're not big scoreboard hitters. And I think people like that full page of statistics. Danesville, 32 touches, yeah, yeah, yeah. six tackles, three goals, one. But they get, oh, yeah, okay, so plenty of touches, but not necessarily goals or... Yeah, which is not their job, so don't worry. They, and look, this time last year, Brayshaw had just played a couple of games at the end of the season to allay fears that he was going to miss out on a career because of concussion. Mm. So he's a new story. Yeah. At this time last year, Clayton Oliver's season was over. He was recognised as a star player, but his handball to kicking ratio had him as a brilliant ball getter, not a damaging user. The correction in both is stark. Brayshaw has had a full season and he's great. And Clayton Oliver now kicks the ball as well he, he he's not almost um, programmed to handball. So he, in doing so, he assesses the game better. He is, by the way, he is, for mine, in the AFL, the most resilient player. You mentioned that incident with Selwood. Mm. I have seen him cop some big bumps, some hits, that players, he just doesn't wince. He is so tough and, and really tough. That's tough. I think maybe you have to be when you're a redhead. Yeah, he's just got, you know, he's no, a ripper. Really good call. All right, I'm going to finish this off. Uh, another hot for me, and we did touch on him before briefly, Lewis Jetta. Now, he's had some good September performances. He's had some stinkers. He's, I wouldn't say much maligned, but he does cop some flack on occasion. He can completely disappear from games. You wouldn't say his time at West Coast has been a raging success thus far. And there was a key moment, pretty sure it was during the third quarter. I can't remember who the Collingwood player was, but they came from opposite sides. Ball, ground ball in the middle. And it, I, I might have a different take on this. Jetta didn't bend over. The Collingwood player did. And I thought, oh, here we go. And sure enough, the commentary team got into him. Social media went off. Jetta, you jib, you squibbed it. Got to put your head over the ball. My take on that was, I actually saw what he was trying to do. I thought if he got over the ball and there was a, a big clash of bodies, the ball was going to go nowhere. If he tapped the ball to the side of the Collingwood player, which he was attempting to do, he was passed and in free territory. I don't think it was a lack of courage. I honestly don't. I think it was a, a really smart thinking attempt to get past the opponent and it didn't come off. But for all that flack he copped, he ended up being an important part in that win. 20 disposals, 7 contested possessions, so he won his share of hardball, 4 tackles, 5 one percenters, which was about as much as anyone in the West Coast lineup, and I'd argue the most brilliant goal of the evening and the one that, that gave him the lead for the last time in the game. Read the play. Yeah, sorry again, about that. Intercepted uh, a handball. He got slipped in between the two Collingwood players, snap on the right foot from 40 out, gives them a lead, and does the Christian Ronaldo celebration, of course, but so what? I thought he was really important for them. I think he cops a bit too much flack, and I think he could be a key player for them in their remaining at least one and possibly two finals. 
You can really muck up that Ronaldo celebration. You really can, and look like an idiot. What did what, he did it perfectly? What he did. What, what uh, should get David to comment on that? He's a fan. What did you think of that incident I was talking about? Yeah, I thought he gibbed it. Did you? Well, he didn't gib it. He, yeah, he did. He didn't go low but and can't you, do you not know exactly see what he was, what he was trying to do? I know exactly what he so was. So what was wrong with trying to do? I know exactly what he was. Well, he he didn't. It didn't pay off. He, but get you, there. To, to be able to do what he was trying to do, you couldn't go low. You no, I'm had saying, to. but I'm saying the timing. Well, he didn't have time to do that. He, he had to go for the ball because had the ball been th- three, four feet closer to him, it would have been a brilliant play. I think, but there, it's not. A, it wasn't a play. It wasn't on. I, I reckon it was. I reckon there are times when people it's too easy to go the he jibbed a card when the smarter option is to avoid the contact. Yeah, I thought it would have been brilliant had he actually intentionally had his legs taken from underneath him. All right. Anyway, bring it. Bring us home. It's a knot. What do you make of Christian Petrarca? I'll tell you what I make of him. I make of him a player that he's all right. Let's accept that Melbourne have got this very good midfield that they do, so he doesn't have to play midfield. He's a Bloody good player, Petrarca. He's a match winner. But almost everything he does reminds me of the best kid in the comp in a junior football competition. And that's not football. It, I've got no doubt, because he was always a big-bodied kid, that he was a superstar through to under-16s. And he went into the TAC Cup. And that normally brings players back a notch because you're playing against the best in the state. But it didn't for him because he still remained the big, powerful, superstar match winner. And he sort of plays like that still. Now, Melbourne are wonderfully honest. They really are. They, they, they just showed a hardness. Jason Dunster rightly said, since he retired 20 years ago, uh, he's never seen a Melbourne team this hard. They've become almost the polar opposite of what we derided in Melbourne for years. Okay, so are you saying Petrarca's lazy? No, he's a bit of a show pony. He just, it, it, they could get more out of him. He's a star. He needs to watch the ball, two hands, head over it. He, he can't be picking it up and dodging and weaving and before he gets the ball. Bank the bankables, and that is get it and just, you know, I, I just think he costs himself some possessions and he costs his team some opportunities by going one-handed and, and going in a spectacular way. All right, got some nominations for Hot or Not. Jaron Parkinson, Dusty's boundary goal. All I can say is this. It was a ripper. Do it again. Well, 35 <laughs> metres. It was actually on that... Uh, I was trying to find the exact landmark. And there's a line they draw. Have you seen, like, between the fence and the boundary line, there's a white line, line marking that goes... Only boundary riders would know that. Well, I don't know what it's for. So if any if anyone does know, tell me. But it was actually on that junction of that line and the boundary. So it's thirty five out. Amazing goal. Do you remember when it was likened you... to someone likened it to Jason Ackermanis's effort at the Gabba um against Geelong in I think um jeez, two thousand five. Remember Malcolm Blight kicked a famous goal and got dragged because yeah. he didn't centre it. And then uh, during the week of training Barassi said, have 10 shots, see how often you do it, and yeah. you'll see why I dragged you. And he kicked nine of the 10. Yeah. <laughs> do you think Dusty could do that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, Ed Healy, another big supporter of this uh, show, good day, Ed, uh, says, a knot is seven's camera on the blimp. 
it does nothing but annoy me. I've got to be honest, Ed, I, I was at the game, so I, I didn't see it. I saw it. If the blimp went a little bit higher, they could have actually got in some of Border Town. Look, <laughs> it's not a bad idea it, you, to give exactly what you were talking about, an idea of how teams set up and an overview of not just where the ball is, but what's behind the ball. But get, it's fine. It was too high. Yeah, it was, no, they've done that before, actually. It's ringing a bell. But you can get that overview of the the um, positioning behind the ball with the behind-the-goals footage that all clubs have access to. And why they don't use it more is beyond me. The only times they seem to use it are at the wrong times. Um, John Funlove and Hines says, Nathan Jones hot. Yeah, it was great. When he kicked that last goal, uh, first goal of the last quarter, and he knew they were home, it was a great moment, wasn't it? Like, he really deserved some success. Yeah, uh, he's... Why do we always forget? Why do what? Not we, why do I sometimes, when describing their great, tough midfield, because I mentioned Viney, why didn't I mention Nathan Jones? Because he's a... A mainstay? uh, What's the phrase I'm looking for? Familiarity breeds contempt, you know? I mean, he was there when they were getting pumped. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Troy says Wiedemann hot. Yep, best absolutely. on ground. Yep, best on ground. We both had him best on ground. Is that it? All right. Okay, you know what that means, Finey. We're, we're too laid back. We're too, you know, happy-go-lucky. Get angry, man. Get angry. Because it's time for the rant-off. All right, I think you're going to like this one from me, Finey, because I know you've uh, you've done a fair bit of umpiring in your time, and uh, I've got uh, just get that up a little bit, boy. Yes, thank you. Uh, I've got a bit of fodder on this subject, so count me in. Three, two, you're off. I'm pissed off with people whinging about umpiring, Finey, every bloody week. No matter how good the games are, no matter what feats of individual brilliance we see. You jump on social media after a game and you'll see twice as much discussion about this decision or that decision as anything the players are doing. Melbourne won its first final for 12 years on Friday night. I thought Demon fans would be happy. I get on Twitter, what's the first thing I see? Someone having a sook about a 50-metre penalty that should have been paid against Geelong's Mitch Duncan. Seriously, these people could win a Tatsotto jackpot and be pissed off the first prize was only four million bucks and not five. And there are supporters out there of clubs that actually think their teams don't get crucified by the men in green every week. And if they're all getting crucified, which teams are actually getting the benefit of all those cooked decisions? Now, I know what you're going to say here. West Coast. Now, I did look at some stats today which show that over the last 16 seasons, the Eagles have a free kick differential almost twice as high as the next best team. But they can't be getting too good a run. Otherwise, why would the Eagles fans be constantly jeering the umpires? (laughs) Trust me, I know about this, Finey. My mum is one of those Eagles supporters. Last week, I asked her, Mum, what do you want for your birthday this year? You know what she said? Boo! I'll try and buy one of them. I don't know how expensive they are. Collingwood fans having a good sook right now about last night. But the free kick count was 23 all. The Pies did get three goals either from free kicks or 50-metre penalties. And why weren't they as vocal about... Travis Varco slipping over with the goal at his mercy, or steal side bottom handballing to a point post instead of a teammate. I calculate, finally, that I've seen roughly 11,573 games of footy over the years. There's precisely one, I'd argue, is definitely decided by the umpiring. And yes, 
It was that time Fitzroy got shafted over in Adelaide in 1991 and Peter McKenna went berserk up in the commentary box. You remember it, Fitzroy fans. Get it through your heads, footy supporters. There's no conspiracy going on here. Unless, of course, you're Essendon. Because it's well known we haven't been able to buy a bloody free kick for 30 years. There's an interesting blend of sarcasm and and observation. I feel the need to say this. The last bit was facetious. <laughs> um, yeah, that Fitzroy Adelaide game, famously, oh, at the end. This is murder. There was a St Kilda Port Adelaide game in Adelaide where I think Grant Thomas afterwards asked for a review of the umpiring and... Oh, well, that it might have been Ross Lyon, even. Well, but, whispers in the sky. No, no, that was in WA. Yeah, this no, was no, a Port no. Adelaide St Kilda game that was unbelievable. But very few games are decided by the umpires, and if they are, it's not on purpose. It's just because they've umpired poorly. Ah, oh, it's a conspiracy. Can I ask you about some decisions on the weekend, Mr Umpire Defender? Okay, quick. Was that free kick that was paid against Selwood paid by the emergency umpire? Uh, that's what they said on the call. Yeah. I, I couldn't, I didn't observe I that myself. So. But is that a known dynamic? I don't, I don't think a... it's happened regularly. There was a, but, but maybe when they say paid by the emergency umpire, is it possible the emergency umpire says to the field umpire, "I saw this," and yeah, he okay, then pays okay. it? I, I didn't know that. That yeah. was a dynamic. It needs to be vocalised better by the okay, AFL. Next. I found a very interesting goal review where the goal review was the goal umpire saying the ball would have hit the post. Yes, that was. Uh, I thought the rule there was that it was in play yeah. if it hit the umpire. So, but uh, I, I like this ruling. It's okay, a, it's that, a it, it was common sense. Ruling. It was common sense because as an umpire, you need to make these things clear. Yeah, and because I didn't know that that was. They, they a tend, dynamic. They tend not to explain these things until they happen, don't they? Yeah, and that and, one isn't that uncommon. And the one that really is counterintuitive and frustrates a lot of fans, on the weekend, did we go back five years and forget taking of the legs? Because a couple of times, yeah. players just completely got their legs taken and it wasn't paid. Uh, just before you do your rant, I'm curious Mr Music, uh, what was the um, the response to that rant? Not much support on tipping. That was pretty... Oh, it was. They it was Amazing. Yeah. Oh, I thought in keeping with my day, I had, uh, you know, I was about the one person on Twitter today, Finey, who didn't have an opinion on Serena Williams. So I actually tweeted that. I said, you know what? I know this is hard to believe, but I actually haven't got a strong opinion about the Serena Williams thing. Whereupon I proceeded to get absolutely shit-canned for not having an opinion on it. You can't win on Twitter. It's called the referee cheat. Oh. Did she this time? Mm. Okay. Cost her a go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's tennis. You know what I say about Serena? What? It's my favourite tuna. Okay. I don't know where to go after that. But don't to you, count you, don't in, you have Serena tuna? Uh, no, nice. no, I have a uh, um, tassel, actually, salmon. I prefer tinned salmon. The blue, what are you? The, a, what are you? A Siamese cat? No, it's Tasmanian. No, tinned it's, salmon. Tasmanian. It's beautiful. Tinned? Yeah, blue. Have a look in your local supermarket. Meow. <laughs> Three, two, one. Rant. I've heard a lot of discussion this week about the likelihood, well, what is now the likelihood of Tom Lynch going to Richmond at the end of this season. And to be honest, I've heard a lot of statistics being thrown up and a lot of sort of palaver suggesting that it's no guarantee for success for Richmond and why not? Free agency means free. They should be allowed to go wherever they go, etc., etc. 
the general consensus actually has been that so what? It's the way the game is played. I'll tell you so what. It is an absolute disaster. It flies in the face. And why on earth a competition that is based on a salary cap and draft system would allow the inclusion of a mechanism that sees a player from an also-ran go to potentially a back-to-back premier is utterly bewildering. Why have a salary cap? Why have a draft? Why have a, an evening of the playing field, which philosophically means 18 different teams winning the flag in an 18-year cycle, only to kibosh the whole thing by allowing this to occur? And let's take Richmond out of it for a moment. Consider it from the perspective of a Gold Coast fan. In AFL football, there is only one prize. There's no qualifying for Europe. There's no relegation. There's only one thing to play for, the Premiership. And as a fan, we have been conditioned to show our loyalty through membership, through going to games, with the hope that that single goal is attainable. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but within the foreseeable future with this team. Now, the AFL set up the Gold Coast. As a Gold Coast fan, coming off another lamentable season, having less than five wins, not being able to attract players, how do you feel about your best player going to the best team in the competition? How far away are you from seeing a flag? So if you don't become a member and you don't go to games, no one could blame you because you're a million miles off it and you became a million light years off it if Lynch goes to Richmond. Why create this team or any new team and allow this to happen? I'm serious about this one. From the Gold Coast fans' perspective, through to an evenness of the competition, Tom Lynch to the Tigers is a disaster. Strong words there from Mark Fine. Look. No, I think I, I tend to agree with you. You know what? I, I want to throw this one at you. 24 years ago, we're going back a long way. Remember when Collingwood made a huge play for Tony Plunger Lockett, as yeah. Tim Webster called it? Only Wayne Richardson stopped it from happening. Yeah, well... But the AFL helped him get to Sydney, didn't they, by tipping in a fair... a fair. Well, why couldn't they do that now? To Why couldn't they tip in a you-know-what load to keep him there? I think he was hell-bent on leaving because it's not a healthy club. Yeah, well, see, this is where... And we talked about this on the podcast. This is where that, that very delicate balance between player rights and uh, having socialist measures in a competition becomes a real issue. And yep. we, we talked about this last Thursday, that half the reason free agency came in was because the AFL was clearly very worried that if, it, if they didn't relent, they were close to having the salary cap and draft challenged in sure. court as restraint of trade. Sure. I agree with you, though. It's gone, it's gone too far the other way. The AFL has to stop allowing front-ended and back-ended contracts because it's that that is going to allow Richmond to do this by players taking a pay cut in the next couple of years and then they sort it out down the track. But by then the damage is done. And all of this is being looked at from a Richmond perspective. Should Richmond do it? Does it make Richmond too strong? But if I was a... We need to look at it from the Gold Coast and their fans' perspective. And if there is only one prize in football... Look, I'm pretty downcast at the moment as a St Kilda fan. 
I imagine Carlton fans are struggling through year to year. Gold Coast fans have had nothing. Mm. And if you can't see a future that ends with a Premiership Cup being raised, why become a member? Well, they're not they're not being taken seriously by the competing clubs in the competition, are they? They're just seen as a breeding ground for, uh, as GWS was to an extent. Yeah, I mean, but are we going down the track of another Brisbane Bears? I mean, haven't we done this? Haven't haven't we done this on the Gold Coast before? Yeah, this is embarrassing if it happens. Well, there were again. plenty of people who, before these clubs were set up, said uh, mm, might be uh, might but, be a hard. GWS were given so much more than the Gold Coast Mm. because it was the real, it was the jewel in the crown to be able to get a successful team in the Western Sydney offered so much potentially in terms of revenue and and TV rights, etc. So they were overloaded. They were Fitzpatrick's absolute project. But Gold Coast has been allowed to sort of wither Wither on on the the vine. Uh, a couple or one before we finish off. Uh, David Haley, thoughts on AFL Grand Final Entertainment? Black Eyed Peas. Barnsey? Yep, Barnsey. No That's Midnight a, Oil. Or mid, yeah. Grr. Um, I don't, uh, I don't know, we sort of talk about this every year. In fact, um, a little bird called, a little annoying bogan bird called Brian Mannix told me during the week <laughs> that um, they were pretty close to announcing something, but he, he sort of wasn't letting on about what it was. Uh, I don't know. I reckon the bar's been raised a bit by the Killers last year, who were very good, I've got to say. That was one of the best ones we've had. I, I had the perfect grand final performer. What, who was Because I actually reckon the combination of sort of a DJ and, and music works perfectly. I reckon Fatboy Slim would be brilliant. Yeah. He's got a lot of those anthem yeah, type songs. Yeah. You're more Catholic in your music taste than I am. Uh, we might finish off with this one from I Con. I don't even know what that means. Um, open-minded. Yeah, I, it's a broad exchange. It's sort of, Why is Catholic uh, open-minded? I don't know. It's a, that is what it means, but it's funny, isn't it? It sort of goes against what you expect it to mean. Yeah. Uh, quick one from Con. Why have the reigning premiers Richmond a free kick count so deep in the negative? Stop at all costs. We've talked about this. So I think it's um, that the level of pressure they apply, uh, it's a it's a trade-off, isn't it? You, you their, overdo it. Their modus operandi is keeping the ball in motion forward and their defensive counter to that is stopping their opponents. Legally, preferably. Mm. But they, if they have to give away a free kick and set up behind the ball that you observed quite rightly is so expertly done, doesn't bother them. That's true. Essendon were um, <clears throat> Essendon were doing that thirty years ago, conceding fifteen metre penalties, Correct. which is why it became a fifty metre penalty. In fact, just on that point, I was talking to an opposition club strategist about their setting up, and that's half the reason they're very happy to concede clearances, because if they can force a stoppage, they can get the set up behind the ball they want. Of course. Uh, Michael Whitty says, "Uncanny X Men." Oh God, no! No, I've got to work with Mannix on the podcast. He'd be unbearable. No, no, just kidding. That'd be all right. What was the one below that, Mr. Same, Music? another Uncanny X-Men. Oh, we've got the Uncanny X-Men fan club on here, have we? Yeah. Well, actually, we're recording a new episode of Rock and Roll tomorrow. Get online if you haven't seen it. It's a, a um, uh, breezy and entertaining mix of sport, music, and life observations from Kevin Hilly and myself and an angry little man from West Meadows who used to front up a rock band. Can I just say, as a sort of... Um, St Kilda Tragic, I immersed myself on the weekend in 
some old YouTube footage of St Kilda. I watched a St Kilda, a quarter of a game from 1973, St Kilda versus North. Which was oh, a, I've seen set, that, Admiral Rabbit. Which yeah. was a great game. It was because, the last game of the season. Yeah, because both teams could make the finals. Yep. North led by four goals early in the last quarter yep. and lost. A St Kilda's a long game from 63. And believe me, if you think that the skills of football, if you think it was tough back then but not as skillful, they were very skillful back then. 63 proves that. Yeah. But the best was a BBC documentary of the 1966 Grand Final. Oh, I've seen that. That's an epic. It, it is great. And, yeah. and what I loved about it was... It's Panorama, I think. It, yeah. Yeah. And they spent time with Baldock yeah. and Brian Serikowski before Baldock's the game. milking a cow or something. He's got he? a goat and some yeah, pigeons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Serikowski, the game day before the game is water skiing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the speedboat. No, stop it. Yeah, yeah. But the best thing about it was that the game is truly Australian in its very essence. A lot of vigour and vim that wouldn't be counted or allowed in our game of association football. It's like, yeah. we're wild. I think it's fair to say that. Actually, one of my favourites, um, there's a, 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 photo, a black and white photo taken in the Essendon rooms after the 68 grand final, which they yep. lost to Carlton. And I think a dejected Alan Noonan or someone, but streamers and decorations up behind him. These were in the days where, to say bloody, bloody was considered yeah, a yeah, swear yeah. word. And so they've written a little verse up there. Are we good? Are we good? Are we any ruddy good? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> and just interestingly on that St Kilda Grand Final win, and by the way, it really is upsetting to see the entire team come back in the room wearing Collingwood jumpers. Yeah. They, that's a tradition well and truly passed on from or moved on from. But the first song St Kilda sang when they came back in the rooms was not Oh When the Saints. Oh, uh, it's a, he's a jolly good fellow, wasn't no, it, no, to no, Alan no, Jones? No, no, no. What was it? It's, it's sort of some song about winning. Did we win, 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 and we came through with them. And it's this very strange song. That reminds me of... Sorry, the, I did it again. When the football season comes around again, and the fair... You don't know it? Storming to the grounds again. There There's is a, a kind, kind of fever that gets you on our toes. Hear the fans are roaring and as the whistle blows. Oh, it's pouring and your team's behind. Still, you never throw in the towel. Because it's football season. And that's the reason. It's a time of the year that we love. See you next week.